It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. I'm on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. You can always find this show on any podcast app or service that you prefer, like Spotify, Google Podcasts, Himalaya, wherever you like to get your favorite shows. And if you don't like any of those services, you can always just ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. It'll take you right to the most recent episode and you don't have to lift a finger. So today, before we get into the promised main topic of Shamar Stefan, a couple of quick nuggets of news. For one, uh, Austin Cutting has officially signed his rookie contract. We talked about his situation yesterday and how it had basically resolved itself. But now, you know, officially official. Uh, And the real news is that Rock Thomas, the running back out of Auburn and Jacksonville State, uh, was waived to make room for a new guard out of South Dakota State. His name is Tiano Papungatoa. That's my best shot at pronouncing it. I'll try to get better at that if people uh, say more about him. Uh, But a quick word on the departure and arrival. So, Rock Thomas, if you listened to my uh, running back breakdown uh, last Monday or his 90-man episode, you kind of know that I didn't really think that he had too much of a shot to make the roster, even if he didn't factor in his suspension. Uh, I'm a little bit annoyed that people are like, he got suspended, and then the team, like, waived him. Like, the team knew about this incident for months. They could have waived him then. The fact that he was suspended for three games that he probably wouldn't have played anyways probably doesn't factor into this. Uh, It's more that he was pretty bad in 2018, and he's probably well behind Mike Boone and Amir Abdullah. His shot at the roster was pretty bleak, and they must have liked this minicamp guy. As for Papungatoa, he was a, uh, a a guard for three years. He was a bit of an Iron Man there. He started like 30-some games. Uh, he started all three years. He did get hurt at the end of his senior year. And, you know, for being a third-team All-American guard from a small school, like, that is not going to get you a lot of chance to get drafted. And then add the injury on top of it, which kind of, you know, makes it so he can't really finish out his senior year on a strong note or anything. And he was a minicamp tryout. He didn't get any uh, sign after the draft, obviously didn't get drafted, and he was a minicamp guy, so he becomes the fourth minicamp player to come into Vikings camp. This is the second year in a row that they've done that, so, you know, I mean, the Vikings really like these minicamp guys, and there's kind of something to be said for that, I guess. You know, you you were kind of, I mean, af, at, at undrafted free agency, there's a lot of guesswork. You're, you've got this huge pool of players, and you're just kind of picking and choosing the guy. I mean, it's going to be really hard to identify the best guy out of, you know, 2,000 and that gargantuan task gets a little bit easier when you can put him on the field for a weekend and see how they do in drills. As to where he fits into the roster, I mean, he's going to be on the third team. He's going to be at the very end of everything, uh, and and that's completely okay, right? Like, he was a, a July signing, so he's going to definitely, like, be on the third and fourth uh, units, and that means that he's going to have a long uphill climb to make it to the practice squad or whatever. But these mini camp tryouts are guys that do that sometimes. 
A couple of the mini camp tryouts from last year are returning. Craig James and Chad Beebe are coming back. So, like, for example, I mean, I'd give him a better chance than John Kenoy, for example, just based off of the kind of trajectories that they came from here, just because I think rookie tryouts, because they already have to have proven something to get to this point, like, they just are that much further ahead. I wouldn't give any rookie tryout a better chance than an undrafted free agent on minicamp weekend, but once you've made it through minicamp weekend, if you weren't there to start out, that means you did something right, and you're not just there because of the status quo, and to me, that gives you a little bit of a leg up, but we've got a long way to go, and to be honest, it's probably more likely that neither of those guys make the team, and again, there's nothing wrong with that. He's another guy on the 90, and uh, let's play ball. Uh, The rookies are going to report to training camp, probably about as you're listening to this, and we're about to kind of see how these guys look for the first time. It's not just rookies, it's also uh, quarterbacks, people with rookie designations, quote-unquote. That'll be guys that were, like, on the practice squad last year, like Jeff Baddett, uh, you know, guys that are kind of deeper on the roster um, and, and other such, and also the quarterbacks get to come early as well because, of obviously, of the mental nature of their position. So, as things happen uh, during training camp, I will, of course, keep you all updated as best I can as to the kind of evaluative stuff. I talked a little bit about this yesterday, but it'll kind of be tough finding like actual analysis. So I'll try to gather all that up and put it right here for you. So it's nice and easy for you. But otherwise, hey, training camp's here, man. Football is starting. Let's get hype. Uh, On the other side of this transaction, the running back room is a little bit more sparse. You now have a very, very direct competition between Amir Abdullah and Mike Boone for a roster spot, maybe even a second roster spot if uh, they decide to keep five running backs or, you know, four and a fullback again. Uh, I don't think that they'll do that, though. I think that would, you know, the the fact that, like, you, you don't want to have no competition in your whole room unless it's, like, kicker. So I kind of doubt that they would do that unless they bring in another running back, which is also totally a possibility. Somebody's going to get hurt in camp. Somebody's going to get hurt over the course of the preseason. And then you can bring in, you know, another running back or, or a, another quarterback or whatever and kind of see who's out there. These transactions always kind of tend to trickle in over the course of July and August. But enough about uh, that deep roster transaction that likely won't affect the actual team come September. Let's talk about something that will impact the team come, come September. They're starting three technique. Now, I have kind of characterized that position as Shamar Stefan's position to lose. Uh, I don't think he's going to be in much of a camp battle for it, just based on the nature of the contract and the way that the team talks about him. They really talk about him as like, we're looking to him as the future of the guy. He's going to do the job. And and I, I don't really see them talking about him as a guy that like has to go out and earn the job. Uh, and so that's kind of why I'm thinking that it's probably just going to be him. Although, you know, things can totally change over the course of camp and preseason, and maybe somebody comes up like Hercules Mata'afa. I'm just going to speak that into existence. And, you know, maybe something like that can can happen and, and push him a little bit. But for now, I think the safe assumption is to just kind of say, okay, it's Shamar Stefan's job to lose. What's that going to look like? So I went back into some of his Seattle tapes, some of his uh, Vikings tape from 2017 to see if anything had changed and all that. And I came away with some conclusions and I wanted to talk about them here and also some stats. Before I get too deep into it, uh, I'm going to step away to an ad break. But really what I set out to do was just kind of figure out like, is this guy a starting quality tackle? He hasn't played a starting role or like a a true blue starting role like Sheldon Richardson had last year in Seattle he was rotational and here he was a backup so he hasn't had this responsibility yet which is why I mean when if you go back and listen to the episode uh when when we signed him I was like yeah that contract really surprised me because he's being paid to do something he really hasn't done yet 
And beyond that, he played a lot of nose tackle, and he's more built to be a nose tackle, and his skill set is more suited to be a nose tackle. I'll get into more specifics about that later. But he's coming in basically to play three technique. And if he comes in as a rotational nose tackle, the contract that they gave him doesn't really make any sense at all. It just wouldn't be very much return on that investment. And then you'd have a three technique battle between like Jalen Holmes and Hercules Mata'afa and Armin Watts, and that would be kind of interesting in its own right, at least to cover, and uh, you'd have that. But I don't think that that's the dynamic that we're going to see here. I think we're going to basically have two nose tackles on the defensive line, and that's going to mean some interesting things, which we will also get into. But again, I will step away to an ad break, and when I come back, we'll talk about all that stuff. See you guys in a second. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Okay, welcome back. So I want to start with the statistical case. I think that gives you some nice context. And then we'll go look into the film and see if that, you know, confirms the, like the statistical things that we saw or if something fishy is going on. So statistically, what do we expect from a defensive tackle? And I'm kind of using the broad term instead of using nose tackle or three technique because he played both, but he was just an interior guy, right? And really from like nose tackles, which is where I think Shamar Stefan is more suited to play, you don't expect a lot of production. It's not really their job. Their job is to, you know, be in the right place, take up space, be hard to move, be big and heavy, right? And that's kind of why nose tackles don't get paid a lot. I mean, even like Linval Joseph, who has like a big giant defensive tackle extension, if you look at him compared to like three techniques, like, I mean, Aaron Donald is the gold standard of this, but other three techniques like Fletcher Cox or like Geno Atkins, it kind of pales in comparison. And if you look at their production, it kind of matches that. And that's because his job is not to get sacks. His job is to get run stops. And that is production that we can really like evaluate nose tackles by. But because I am anticipating that Shamar Stefan is going to play three technique, we should look at his ability to get pressures at three technique, which unfortunately we don't have that all charted out nice and neat, like what position, like where he lined up when he got those pressures. PFF has it, but it's not made public. So we'll kind of have to do a little bit of manual work there, but we can kind of just say, okay, he should get some pressures, but understand that he played nose tackle a lot and you're going to be soaking up some double teams if you're the biggest guy. And if you're lining up like right over the center, you're probably going to get the center and the guard and that's going to make it harder to get a pressure. And we can just kind of say that like, okay, we understand. We'll kind of give you a little bit of benefit of the doubt because of that. And over the course of the 2018 season with the Seahawks where he played more than he ever played in uh, 2017 and looking back at his 2017 stats 2018 wasn't an outlier for him so we can use that season as kind of a proxy here and and I, I can kind of assure you that like yeah I looked back and nothing else was different so we can use this and it can be pretty representative at least from a statistical standpoint he logged four pressures over 277 pass rush snaps that's really bad. Even for a nose tackle, that's really bad. He is just not disruptive at, at generating pressures. And again, there could be a lot of reasons for that. That could be not what he was coached to do. And I actually have a bit of a theory about that, which we'll get into later. Uh, and it could just be that, you know, he only came in on running downs or whatever. But I mean, he did play 277 pass downs, so he did adjust for that. And generally, I think the answer there is that he just isn't a penetrating player. 
And that's going to kind of be a theme that comes up here a lot, is that Shamar Stefan does not penetrate. And maybe he wasn't asked to penetrate, and when he came in even for the Vikings, he would come in as like a relief, you know, nose tackle or whatever, and he wouldn't be asked to penetrate. He would be asked to occupy a gap. And that's typically what you see him do very well, is occupy a gap and be in the way. That doesn't usually get you run stops. It kind of gets you tackles sometimes, but what good is a tackle if, you you know, the guy already got the yards? He did, however, log 13 run snaps over the course of 260 passing or uh, rushing snaps. And that's not bad. That's pretty good, actually. I, I would absolutely take that for a nose tackle. So if, for example, Linval Joseph gets hurt and Shamar Stefan ends up being the nose tackle and whoever else ends up being the three technique, like, I'm okay with Shamar Stefan in that position. Even though, of course, I'd rather, like, I'd prefer Linval, obviously, but you get what I mean. And kind of further to the point that a tackle on its own doesn't really do anything for you, right? Like a tackle after he got 10 yards, like, who cares? You got beat, right? He only has 19 tackles to his name. 13 of them were run stops, and run stops in uh, PFF's designation are tackles on run plays that did not get enough yards to be successful. So essentially, run stops are like good tackles, or the way that I like to think of them, and 13 of his 19 tackles were good ones. I'll take that ratio all day. And that comes from gap discipline, which is really important. A lot of the worst uh, run plays that a defense allows will be because somebody was in the wrong spot. Somebody tried to be a hero and abandoned their gap, and the running back saw that and cut into the abandoned gap and then gets a big gain, and that's kind of what happens. Adrian Peterson was the god of this. I think they gave one up, a big uh, Kenyan Dre, or it was Kalen Ballage or somebody like that. Uh, the, the big Miami run last year that like opened up the second half, and it was like this big, long touchdown run. I believe that was a gap discipline issue. Some really bad ones against the Bears over the years. This is kind of where the worst stuff happens, and you can pretty solidly count on Shamar Stefan to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, I, of course, will link my work here in the show notes, uh, but there's a Twitter thread that I've been doing, kind of working over the last few days on, with Shamar Stefan, and one of the uh, plays that you see from him is that he's pretty good at sifting through space for a big guy like him. You know, he's 6'5", 309, but he can keep up on, like, an outside zone run when, you know, the, the running back is stretching across to the side of the formation that he did not line up on, he can still sift his way across that formation and go be a part of the tackle. And I only posted one clip on Twitter just because I only bothered to, like, screenshot one, uh, but he does this plenty often, and it's something that you can count on him to do pretty reliably, and I know for a fact that Mike Zimmer really loves that, especially because Mike Zimmer weirdly, like, hated the run defense, even though the run defense was, like, not the worst thing in the world. Pretty sure it was still hot top half of the league. We're just a lot used to seeing it be better. But at any rate, you know, the uh, the run defense should improve a little bit with Shamar Stefan there versus Sheldon Richardson, who actually did struggle a little bit against the run, though he was far more disruptive. But here is what bothers me about Shamar Stefan against the run, is that he's always in the right place, he's in the right gap, and he can get to that, he, he's athletic enough to get to that gap, and smart enough to know which gap to get to, and those are kind of two really big hurdles for defensive tackles, and he, he checks both those boxes comfortably. But when you are a defensive lineman, that is what I call a proactive position. There's kind of two different kinds of positions in football. There's proactive and there's reactive. When you're proactive, you're trying to make something happen. And when you're reactive, you're trying to prevent something from happening. I would call offensive linemen a reactive position. You are trying to prevent the defensive lineman from getting to the quarterback or from disrupting the run play. When you are a wide receiver, that's a proactive position. You are trying to create production and a, you know, you're trying to go out and get deep and catch the ball. Whereas a cornerback is reactive. They are trying to prevent you from doing that thing. And I think that Shamar Stefan plays the three-technique position 
like a, a reactive player rather than a proactive one. This is what I loved about Sheldon Richardson is that he was tenacious. He would get up field and, and disrupt things. You know, if you, if you are a three technique and you penetrate up the field right away, you don't take away, you don't abandon your gap. You take away your gap and every gap to that side of you because the running back has to cut back, let you, you know, lest you get him for two or three yards. And now suddenly you have taken away half the field just by winning your rep that well. That's not something that Shamar Stefan does. He'll never give up his own gap. And for some coaches, that's good enough. But I think if you're going to be a three technique, especially in Zimmer's scheme, where we've seen Sharif Floyd, we've seen uh, Sheldon Richardson, we even saw Tom Johnson play very well there and be very disruptive, you need to be a penetrator. You need to be somebody that uses you know, the, the double team that's going to go on Linval Joseph every time and uh, the extra attention that's going to get paid to Daniil Hunter and Everson Griffin. Like, teams are going to chip those guys. They're going to have running backs back there and stuff. They're going to pay a lot of attention to everybody but you on the defensive line, and you need to be able to take advantage of the opportunities that that creates, not just kind of be in the right place. I don't know, call me a, a grouch or whatever, but I just set my standard a little bit higher than that for a, a starter on, a, on an NFL defense that's supposed to be elite and that if you listen to the rhetoric of, of what you know the coaches are saying in camp here, they're leaning on pretty heavily. There was uh, an interview with, my, with uh, Kirk Cousins where he talked about like how the, the, you know, the, we can be successful because like if you look at the 2015 team, they won the ball, they won by running the ball and playing defense. And if we can run the ball and play defense, we'll be successful. And it's a very weird way to characterize things. A, because that's not how the 2015 team won. They were really bad on offense and they won with historic defense and they didn't run the ball very much at all. So if you're trying to emulate that, then you probably need more than a three technique who just like isn't making mistakes and is doing the bare minimum. But also it's a very strange thing for a quarterback to say, I can't wait for the rest of the team to win this and for me to not be a part of it. Like it just is a very weird thing for me to say, but maybe I'm biased because I'm a hater and that's just how things go. So on that note, I'm going to step away to an ad break. And when I come back, we'll talk a little bit more about Shamar Stefan technique wise and the things that I think he needs to improve upon to become the kind of player I expect the Vikings to have at three technique. I'll see you all in a second. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Okay, welcome back. So I want to talk uh, still about the the run defense, and then we'll get into the pass rush where things get real, real bleak for Shamar Stefan. But in run defense, there is a strength aspect that I don't think that I've given enough respect so far. He is real strong. There is a play, and this is not the only time he's done stuff like this, where uh, this was in the playoff game against Dallas, pretty good offensive line there, where he is soaking up a double team. I think he's, this is from the nose tackle position, but I think the skill set that you see is uh, like, is completely like translatable and totally matters here but he soaks up a double team and the double team isn't like a true you know two guys on one type thing that you would do to like Aaron Donald it's more of a chip and the center chips him and the guard is on him and he he soaks up that chip and he doesn't give up a, a lick of ground and he basically sheds the guard really well which is something I don't see him do very often so I'm not giving him too much credit for you know blind squirrel and nut etc uh but he does do a really good job of shedding that, staying strong, sifting across the formation and, and 
stopping Ezekiel, Ezekiel Elliott, a guy that's pretty notoriously hard to bring down laterally instead of getting run over by him. It's a very athletic play, and I, and I don't want to sell that short. However, on the point of block shedding, it is something that Shamar Stefan struggles mightily with. There are times when he'll be kind of caught out of position or when the run just won't go to his gap. And I didn't bother taking those plays because the run is just to the gap next to his and somebody else on the on the team is making the mistake and so it's not doesn't really reflect on him very well. But what I really want to see is at some point during those plays, I want to see him make a play. I want to see him, you know, it's, if, if it's not his gap, but it's the gap next to his, I want to still see him, you know, push and collapse that gap or try to get off of his man and collapse that gap. You know, not not play a hero and abandon his own, but once you know that the play is going there, I want him to, you know, make a move. There was one play, however, that kind of I saw the opposite thing, where I saw uh, uh, Dak Prescott, if you remember, it was a, a, an almost touchdown in that game. Dak Prescott scrambled almost for a touchdown. He got stopped like two inches short, scored a couple plays later, but uh, that was basically directly at Shamar Stefan. At that point, he was two-gapping. And what two-gapping means uh, essentially is that, you know, if you imagine you're Shamar Stefan, there's one offensive lineman in front of you, you are responsible for both if Dak Prescott goes to the left of you or to the right of you. You have to be responsible for both gaps, hence two-gapping. So uh, Linval Joseph is a god at this, and what you essentially have to do is just keep the guy's face mask in front of you. You want to basically be making eye contact with your offensive lineman and then watch the ball carrier. If he goes left, you go left. If he goes right, you go right. And don't try to guess. And this is what young players do all the time. This is what inexperienced players do all the time. They'll try to guess. They'll see that somebody is, you know, running right, and they'll guess and go right, but they'll do it way too early, and the running back can just cut back and, you know, totally leave them bamboozled. Dalvin Cook is very good at this. And Dak Prescott isn't bad at it either, and that's exactly what happened there. He essentially tricks Shamar Stefan into turning his hips and fully committing to one gap, and then he very easily cuts back because guess what? Dak Prescott's going to be more agile than your nose tackle. He cuts back and gets to the other gap, and he almost gets into the end zone for it. So it's a delicate balance, and you kind of need to time that decision right. You know, you need to kind of identify when the the runner has actually committed to a gap, and then when that's happened, you need to not be satisfied with, with just being in your gap. It's kind of that thing where, like, yeah, the coach isn't going to yell at you about this. They're not going to tell you you did something wrong, but also, what if you made that play, and maybe something could have happened that you know, you did a little bit more right. But, you know, Mike Zimmer talks about this all the time, where, you know, people try to be a hero, they try to freelance. I mean, we've talked about that with all kinds of players that have come in and out of the defense over the years. So maybe he doesn't like that. Maybe he sees Shamar Stefan being very disciplined and in his gap, and a guy runs right by him, and but he was in his gap. And Mike Zimmer likes that and pays for it at three technique. And so what I think you're going to see is a huge lack of interior pressure. So here's the thing. When it comes to run defense, being in your gap is really important. And if you abandon it, a running back can figure that out and punish you for it. So I, I, it's hard to be too upset with Shamar Stefan for doing this. I do wish that he could just, like, shed the block. And you don't really see even, like, an attempt to do so. You see a much more cerebral kind of passive defensive line play, and I don't like that. You know, I want them to penetrate and be tenacious. You know, take away your gap by getting up into the backfield, then take away your gap that way. Don't just, like, get on your guy and be in the right place and call that a day. But when it comes to pass rushing, you have to be even more proactive, and this is where I really don't see anything from Shamar Stefan. You can watch pass rush snap after pass rush snap after pass rush snap from him, and you see pretty much the same thing every time. You see two hands right up into the chest plate, push him back, you know, two, three steps, and maybe he's being coached to do that. Maybe he's just being coached to collapse the front of the pocket so that the quarterback, if, you know, the edge rushers get around, the quarterback can't step up as easily, and maybe that's his whole job. 
I don't think that's a very useful job because it relies on somebody else to make the play, and if they don't make the play, then you just kind of have no chance at making the play. Like, I'd rather just tell all my guys, unless you're playing contained specifically, which, like, against Dak Prescott, I totally get it, or against, you know, if they're playing, like, Russell Wilson, which Shamar Stefan played with Russell Wilson last year, but a quarterback like him or Mitch Trubisky, somebody that can, you know, leak out and punish you. Even Matt Stafford's okay at this. Then, you know, you play contain and you try to just collapse the pocket in on them and and instead of trying to penetrate and then they can juke, juke out of you and you know, break the pocket and buy a million more seconds. I totally get that, but I saw this against Jared Goff. I mean, I, I saw this in Minnesota against, you know, backup Bears quarterbacks and Drew Brees, who's like never going to do that. It's again, a, a very passive way of playing football. You are never going to contribute to the play there. You're not going to be the reason they lose, but you're not going to be the reason they win. And ultimately the goal is to win games, not to not lose them. He's got the strength to move a guy, but does he have the skill set to get past someone? And, I mean, even if you do collapse the pocket, it's pretty easy for most quarterbacks in the league to handle a pressure where all it is is that, you know, it, like, if, if there is a teammate between you and the defender, you're not going to have that hard of a time eluding the guy when one of your teammates is, like, in the way anyways. And I worry that that's what we're going to see, that we're just not going to get any interior pressure because they'll just double Linval Joseph and any guard can stonewall Shamar Stefan. Again, four pressures in a whole season where he played, like, about 30 snaps a game. That's atrocious. That's really, really bad. And watching the tape, I don't find, like, a caveat or a good excuse or reasons, oh, it was because of this, or oh, it was because, you know, he was trying... I mean, if he was being coached to just play contain against, like, Jared Goff, then that would be a lot more surprising to me than he just doesn't have much of a pass rush arsenal. Uh, there's a, a concept in, in pass rushing called, you know, brush with a plan. This is, if you've ever listened to Everson Griffin mic'd up, uh, I think it was in 2015, mic'd up against the Chargers, he literally, like, told the left tackle what he was going to do. He's like, I'm going to go upfield, and I'm going to cut back, and I'm going to spin on you, and I'm going to get the sack. And then he did exactly that, and it worked. And I think that's just my favorite example ever of pass rush with a plan. Show up and, and have a plan for I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to pull that move, and that's what I'm doing this play, instead of just saying I'm going to try to get past him and do whatever. Have an arsenal of moves and use them strategically. Daniil Hunter is getting better and better and better at this, which is terrifying. <laughs> um... And, and I don't see that from Shamar Stefan at all. I'll see, sometimes I'll see a little rip, I'll see a little push or something, a little swipe, but usually any guard with decent technique can get their hands up under him and stop him. And that is really, really concerning for a player that is slated to start. But all hope is not lost because he isn't guaranteed that right now. I mean, when I did the defensive tackle thing for the roster, I pretty much penciled him in as a starter. I have him in the starter tier in my roster tiers, and until I see somebody else taking first team reps, I'm not going to change that. But I, I'm holding out hope that at some point somebody can take some first team reps and actually make this a competition and make Shamar Stefan go out there and do something to, to earn his job instead of just being handed a starting job on, an, on a supposedly elite defense on a silver platter just because he played decent rotational ball and didn't make a lot of mistakes. If you want somebody that penetrates, I'm looking to Hercules Mata'afa, and I would bet that over the course of the preseason, Hercules Mata'afa penetrates more than Shamar Stefan, and I think even if the levels of competition were the same, because Mata'afa will probably play like some third and second teamers, but I think even against the same level of competition, I would trust Hercules Mata'afa to penetrate more. Wouldn't trust him as much in the run game just because of a lack of experience and that lack of sizes would really hurt him, and I don't know if the Vikings would start him because of that, which in my opinion is a mistake but I digress. 
I think on obvious passing down, downs, Hercules Mata'afa gives you a better chance to get pressure simply because of his quickness. And you, see, and you hear Mike Zimmer talk about it a lot. He just has quickness, the ability to get past someone. I don't care how strong you are if I'm two steps behind you. So I'm holding out hope that that can happen, that Jalen Holmes, now that he's put on weight, can play reasonable defensive tackle and beat out Shamar Stefan. I'm hoping that someone can take this job from him because if nobody can, they've essentially resigned themselves to trot out a backup at a starting position on a defense that's supposed to be star-studded from head to toe. They have squandered the advantage that you get from having a nose tackle that demands a double team on every single down. They have squandered the advantage you get by having a guy like Daniil Hunter that demands that you chip him with a tight end or with a running back, and now you can't do that on the inside. They have squandered a lot of the advantages and the ease that that creates by having a guy that seems fully unwilling to take advantage of it. So... Yeah, I don't really know what to expect from Shamar Stefan, if anything, but my ex- expectations are really low. I would love to be wrong, but I'm really concerned about that position going into 2019. So that is going to do it for this uh, super optimistic, happy fun time episode of Locked On Vikings. I'll try to do something more fun tomorrow uh, to try to bring up the mood a little bit. Uh, but in the meantime, you can always find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. I will keep you updated on any of that stuff over there. Uh, you can always find this show on any podcast service you like. And if you don't like any of those podcast services or you don't like picking up your phone, you can always just ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. I will talk to you all tomorrow. And in the meantime, as always, skull. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.